0: You can go ahead and open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 48, and while you do, I didn't tell him that I was going to do this, but I want to appreciate Ryan for stepping in while Josh has been taking some time off, and so I want you guys to show him your appreciation for how well he's been leading us in music so far this past few weeks. Ryan would love it if everyone could look him in the eyes right now and point at him and say thank you for all that you do. So Jeremiah 48, I wanted to go ahead and get a, uh, a happy beginning to our sermon this morning because we're in for, um, we're in for it, Okay. Jeremiah 48 is 47 verses, and only one of them is very happy, and it's the last one. So, last week, Matt said that the judgment against Philistia was not vengeance, but a straightforward judgment against a people that hate God. That's not the case this week for Moab. So, before we continue... Let me set the scene by reading just the first six verses, okay? They should be on the screen. So Jeremiah 48, 1 through 6, concerning Moab. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, this is the first word out of his mouth, woe to Nebo, for it is laid waste. Kyriathium. Is put to shame. It is taken for the fortress, is put to shame and broken down. The renown of Moab is no more. In Heshbon, they planned disaster against her. Come, let us cut her off from being a nation. You also, madmen, shall be brought to silence. The sword shall pursue you. Madmen is the name of a people, not just crazy people, okay? A voice, a cry from Heronium. Desolation and great destruction. Moab is destroyed. Her little ones have made a cry. For at the ascent of Luhith, they go up weeping. For at the descent of Heronium, they have heard the distressed cry of destruction. Verse 6, flee, save yourselves. You will be like a juniper in the desert. Hetty Lolaman says the opening word "woe" belongs to a funeral lament. This is the way that Jeremiah would have began a funeral in his day. So we're off to a great start, right? Now, there's a lot of names, places, and rituals being referenced, even in just these first six verses, but we don't have time to explore all of them unless you're fine skipping lunch today. So rather than that, I want us to zoom in on verse six, which is going to kind of summarize what's going on in these first six verses. Flee, save yourselves, you will be like a juniper in the desert. Now, despite appearances, this is not a call to repentance. This is not a happy verse, as I thought when I first read through it. It is to say, you can run, and you may even succeed in hiding, but to run is to leave yourself as a choking bush in the middle of a desert, because I will not leave anything standing. Whenever you see a picture of a desert, You know that scraggly-looking bush that's sometimes in, like, the bottom right or the bottom left of the picture? That's the bush being described, okay? That dried-out bush that might have a little bit of life left within it. But it's choking amidst flat desolation. The sheer length of the judgment and the references in Isaiah 15 and 16, Ezekiel 25, 8 through 11, Amos 2, 1 through 3, Zephaniah 2, 8 through 11, point to the likelihood that Moab was quite a personal and bitter enemy of God's people back in this day, says Huey from the New American Commentary. So yeah, Jeremiah 48 is quite long and it is quite intense okay but for the length of chapter i don't want you to miss the major statements that really set the tone and give the flavor of jeremiah 48 okay so i want to read four flavor texts if you will and they should likewise be on the screen and you can record the references as i go so what? Why is God pouring out this judgment upon Moab? Here's why. Forty-eight and verse seven: For because you trusted in your works and your treasures, you also shall be taken, and Chemosh shall go into exile with his priests and his officials. Verse twenty-six: Make him drunk, because he magnified himself against the Lord so that Moab shall wallow in his vomit and he too shall be held in derision verse 42 Moab shall be destroyed and no longer a people because he magnified himself against the Lord in verse 47 yet I will restore the fortunes of Moab in the latter days declares the Lord Thus far is the judgment on Moab. So we're headed for 47, right? Where we want to arrive. Yet I will restore the fortunes of Moab. But we have 46 verses to get there. So as we dig into chapter 48, our theme is going to continue from the previous weeks. Amid God's announcements of worldwide judgment, redemption echoes. To understand the theme this morning, we're going to have two judgments upon pride and one promise of redemption, one promise after judgment. So, the first judgment upon pride is trusting creation over creator. Then we'll have the second judgment upon pride, magnifying self over God. And then we'll have a promise after the judgment redemption echoes but is not deserved. I hope you can see how those four verses that I read to you set the tone for the points this morning. But more than than that, I hope that you heard verses 7, 26, and 42 and considered the fact that they likely are true of you as well, as they certainly are of me. So this morning, I will ask you to trek through the mud with me. Observe the brutal destruction of the Moabite people from a holy God who is just and right to do so. And if verses 7, 26, and 42 are in fact true of you as they are of me, then God help us, we need a promise of redemption. The promise of redemption from verse 47, just as the Moabites did. With that, pray with me, and we'll get started. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Be with us as we enter into a difficult chapter. Father, convict our hearts, soften our hearts. Allow us to see in verse 48, not just the pride of the Moabites, but the pride of humanity represented in the Moabites. Father, I pray that you would help us who know you to shed these Moabite tendencies. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we get to pray. Amen. And so if you're still with me and you haven't left out the back door, then we're going to hop into our first judgment upon pride. Judgment upon pride, trusting creation over creator. So we've already read the first six verses, which began demonstrating the totality of God's judgment against Moab. Now we'll see how our first flavor text explains the why of God's destruction here. So verses 1 through 10 show, God, show the judgment of the creator God, and these proud Moabites will see their creations destroyed in God's creation. So your creations are destroyed will be your first sub point this morning. Verses 7 through 10 to finish out those first 10 verses. For because you trusted in your works and your treasures, you also shall be taken and Kamosh shall go into exile with his priest and his officials. The destroyer shall come upon every city and no city shall escape. The valley shall perish and the plain shall be destroyed as the Lord has spoken. Give wings to Moab, for she would fly away. Her city shall become a desolation with no inhabitant in them. Cursed is he who does the work of the Lord with slackness, and cursed is he who keeps back his sword from bloodshed. Notice the destroyer language of verse 8. This is calling to mind the Exodus from Egypt. In Exodus 12, 23, for the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians, reading from Exodus, when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you. God is going to ruin the Moabites just as he ruined Egypt. But more than Egypt, because he's not merely going to slay the firstborn, he's going to level cities raise up valleys, create plains. He's going to destroy all of it. And God does not stop with their creations. He continues in his destruction by targeting the source of their complacency, their laziness. And cursed is he who keeps back his sword from destroying Moab as God has commanded the sword to do. Consider from verse 10 that Babylon would have sinned against God had they not overtaken Moab. This is the judgment of our God. And so we'll continue. As the source of their complacency is destroyed, we see the second subpoint our rest, or their rest rather, is destroyed. Look at verses 11 through 13. Moab has been at ease from his youth and has settled on his dregs, and he has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into exile. So he, his taste remains in him, and his scent is not changed. This is language about wine, okay? Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall send him to the pourers who will pour him and empty his vessels and break his jars in pieces, then Moab shall be ashamed of Kamash, as the house of Israel was ashamed of Bethel, their confidence. Moab was known for their vineyards, and more specifically, they were known for their wine. They worshipped a false god named Kamash, which means destroyer. It's pretty embarrassing, right? Kamash <laughs> is mentioned here in the context of God, the destroyer, to say that God destroys the false destroyers of this world. And the language of these verses, according to Huey again, captures the image of wine that has sat too long, okay? So wine betters with age, right? But if it's aged too long, it becomes syrup and it spoils, So rather than making use of their gifts, rather than making use of that which made them rich, they sat upon their riches until they spoiled. So God says that the wines which you rest upon shall be poured out and the jars which contain them will be destroyed. That which gives you rest will be taken out from under you. Then Moab shall be ashamed that their false god, Kamash, could not deliver them, just as Israel was ashamed of the golden calf as Moses descended from Sinai with the words of God. When false gods are confronted with the one true God, all who follow false gods shall be ashamed. The destroyer will be destroyed by the one true god so moab's creations are destroyed their rest is destroyed and now we'll examine their strength your third sub point their strength was destroyed verses 14 through 25 how do you say we are heroes and mighty men of war The destroyer of Moab and his cities has come up. The choicest choicest of his young men have gone down to slaughter, declares the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. The calamity of Moab is near at hand, and his affliction hastens swiftly. Grieve for him, all you who who are around him, and all who know his name say how the mighty scepter is broken, the glorious staff. Come down from your glory and sit on the parched ground, O inhabitant of Dibon. For the destroyer of Moab has come up against you. He has destroyed your stronghold. Stand by the way and watch, O inhabitant of Aror. Ask him who flees and who escapes. Say, what has happened to you? Moab is put to shame, for it is broken. Wail and cry, tell it beside the Arnon that Moab is laid waste. Judgment has come upon the tableland, upon Halon, Jazza, and Mephtha, and Dibon, and Nebo, and Beth Deboleum, and Carathium, and Beth Gamul, and Beth Maon, and Kiriath, and Bazrah, and all the cities of the land of Moab, near and far. The horn of Moab is cut off, and his arm is broken, declares Moab. The Lord. To give you a moment of relief, don't take any of my pronunciation of these cities as fact. But heroes and mighty warriors were destroyed, the scepter and the staff of the king destroyed, their high places of worship destroyed their strongholds destroyed the horn this is not a burr br- the horn of an animal the source of their strength destroyed their arm destroyed moab's strength as a nation destroyed listen as i read a selection of the song of moses in deuteronomy 32 I would encourage you to go back and read the song of Moses in full in chapter 32, following the service this morning. But listen to Moses' words. Vengeance is mine and recompense for the day, for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand and the doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when we when he sees their power is gone and where none is remaining, bond or free. Then he will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge? Who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be a protection to you. Let the destroyer, Chemosh, duke it out. With me, the one true destroyer. Verse 39, see now that I, even I, says God, am he. And there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. There is none that can deliver out of my hand. If I have set to destroy you, you will be destroyed <clears throat> so cedar View, as before we move on to our second judgment upon pride please consider with me what creations of your own design do you trust in over your creator your careers your homes your friends and your family your financial investments your retirement What causes you to indulge in rest rather than resting due to hard work? Your self-justifications? Your comparison to others? Your favorite sports, games, television, or content creator? Whose strength do you trust in when the chips are down? Do you pray to the God of creation Or do you pray to the false God of pulled-up bootstraps? Do you pray to the God who kills and makes alive? Or do you bow to the gods of this world that can kill the body but cannot kill the soul? Cedarview, we have a bit of Moabite in us. But... Amid God's announcements of worldwide judgment, redemption echoes. Though unfortunately, God is not done with Moab yet. So let's examine our second judgment upon pride, magnifying self over God. We'll see in verses 26 through 44 how magnifying themselves only proved to magnify God's judgments against Moab. First, we'll see with our 1st subpoint, shame is magnified. And as we examine magnified shame, we'll see our second flavor text of the morning. Verse 26, make him drunk because he has magnified himself against the Lord so that Moab shall wallow in his vomit. He too shall be held in shame, in derision. Was not Israel a shame, a derision to you? Was he not found among thieves? Whenever you spoke of him, you wagged your head, looked down your nose, to use that expression. The wine against the people of wine continues here. As you can assume, okay, God is not throwing the Moabites a rager, okay? He's not throwing them a party. God is not sharing drinks with these people. Rather, he has pinned them down to the ground and is forcing their own spoiled wine down their throats until they are hopelessly drunk, an embarrassment to themselves and to others. Just as they looked down their upturned nose upon God's people, so would every surrounding nation gaze upon them as they wallow and flail in their own vomit. Cedarview, as you boast in your own strengths and securities, you ought to tremble at the words before you. This is the state of all those who magnify themselves rather than magnifying the only worthy one, God himself. As I consider my own self-reliance, I'm disgusted with myself. I hope you join me in a measure of queasiness over my similarities with these Moabite people. But let's continue our second sub-point. Mourning is magnified. So read verses 28 through 33 with me. Leave the cities and dwell in the rock, O inhabitants of Moab. Be like the dove that nests in the sides of the mouth of the gorge. We have heard of the pride of Moab, and he is very proud of his loftiness, his pride, and his arrogance, and the haughtiness of his heart. I know his insolence, declares the Lord. His boasts are false. His deeds are false. Therefore, I wail for Moab. I cry out for all of Moab, for the men of Kir Hasareth I mourn. More than for Jazer, I weep for you, O vine of Simba, your branches pass over the sea and reach to the sea of Jazer on your summer fruits and your grapes. The destroyer has fallen. Gladness and joy have been taken away from the fruitful land of Moab. I have made the wine cease from the wine presses. No one treads them with shouts of joy. This shouting is not shouts of joy. Did you expect the magnified mourning to be from the Moabites? It is God who mourns. What is the source of God's mourning? We see in 29, 30, and 31, we have heard the pride of Moab. He is proud. He is lofty. He is proud again. (laughs) He is arrogant. He is haughty. I know of his insolence, says God. His boasts are false. His deeds are false. All that which the Moabites claim to be theirs is actually false. From God. Therefore says God. I wail. For Moab. I cry out. For all of Moab. The pride and self-reliance of Moab. Causes God to wail for these sinners. Why? Because their boasts were false. Their deeds were false. And God will continue his mourning. Look with me. At thirty four through thirty nine from the outcry at Heshbon even to Elielah, as for as, as far as Jahaz they utter their voice from Zoar and from Haronium and from Egloth Sheshaliah, and from the waters of Nimrim also have become desolate. And I will bring an end in Moab, declares the Lord him who offers sacrifice in the high place and makes offerings to his God. Therefore, my heart moans for Moab like a flute, and my heart moans like a flute for the men of Kir Hashareth. Therefore, the riches they have gained have perished. For every head is shaved and every beard cut off, and all the hands are gashes and around the waist is sackcloth, on all the housetops of Moab, in all the squares, there is nothing but lamentation, for I have broken Moab like a vessel for which there no one cares, declares the Lord. How it is broken, how they wail, how Moab has turned its back in shame. So Moab has become a shame, a derision, and a horror to all who are around him. We see the heart of a sovereign God who must punish sin, but who in his grace and mercy also made a way of repentance. God desires all men everywhere to repent, but do they? So God wails, he moans for these Moabites in the midst of his destroying them. Consider the grace of a God where the Father was pleased to crush the Son, yet he mourns the destruction of this wicked nation. God help us. We are sinners undeserving of grace. But God is not done. Terror is magnified, this is your third sub point here. Read verses 40 and 41. For thus says the Lord Behold, one shall fly swiftly like an eagle and spread his wings against Moab. The cities shall be taken and the strongholds seized. The hearts of the warriors of Moab shall be in that day like a heart of a woman in her birth pain. The eagle is Babylon. The day is coming, says the Lord, where the eagle will melt the hearts of Moab's warriors. John Calvin, regarding verse 41, writes, And by these words he intimates that it is in God's power to melt the hearts of men and to break down their fierceness so that those who were like lions are made to be like the terror of powerlessness to stop what is about to happen just as there is terror for the woman as her birth pains begin as she goes into labor she knows that there is no stopping this until it is complete this magnified terror sets the scene for our third flavor text this morning. Look at verse 42. Moab shall be destroyed and be no longer a people because he magnified himself against the Lord. Terror, pit, and snare are before you, O inhabitant of Moab, declares the Lord. He who flees from terror shall fall into the pit, and he who climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare, for I will bring these things upon Moab the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. A terror, a pit, and a snare. Translation, there is no escape. God, help us. We are sinners undeserving of grace. Are we really any different than Moab? Do we really trust in God over our own work and provisions? Don't we sit on the gifts we've been given rather than blessing those around us? So again, God, help us. But praise God, church, that he has. Amid God's announcements of worldwide judgment, redemption echoes. And so we have our third and final point: promise after judgment, redemption echoes but is not deserved. We have a promised summary of judgment, sort of a uh, repeat of everything he said so far. Okay, but then we also have a promised hope of redemption. So the first promise: you have no strength, no home, no crown, and no lineage. Woo! Read with me. Verses 45 and 46, in the shadow of Heshbon, fugitives stop without strength, for fire came out of Heshbon, flame from the house of Sihon, and it has destroyed the forehead of Moab, the crown of the sons of Tumult. <clears throat> Woe to you, O Moab, the, f- the people of Kamosh are undone, for your sons have been taken captive and your daughters into captivity. You have no strength, for it's been destroyed. You have no home, because it's been crushed to dust. There is no crown, because there is no kingdom to rule. There is no lineage for your sons and your daughters, because they have been taken captive. But, we have a second promise. You have hope of redemption. And so we have our final flavor text to close the passage this morning. In verse 47, Yet I will restore the fortunes of Moab in the latter days, declares the Lord. Thus far is the judgment on Moab. Friday night, we had the students stay together for a lock-in, a sleepover, a get-together. I don't know. We stayed the night at Freddie's house. We looked at together luke chapter 18 the story of the rich young ruler who comes to meet jesus this young man this rich young ruler asks jesus good teacher what must i do to inherit eternal life jesus perceiving what is in this young man asks a strange question in context jesus asks, why do you call me good there is none good but god alone Some foreshadowing, right? Jesus continues and lists the Ten Commandments to prove his point that no one is good. Now, many of you know the story, but how does the young man respond? Does he say, oh, yeah, you're right, I didn't do any of those things? No. He says, all these I have kept, not just for the past week, but since my youth. Since I was but a child, I've kept all the commandments of God. This young man obviously had not considered the judgment upon Moab. But rather than arguing with this young man over whether he had broken the law or not, Jesus pressed the young man on an issue that Jesus knew the young man could not deny. One thing you still lack, says Jesus. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Then verse 23, but when he said these things, he became very sad. The young man became very sad. Why? Because he was very rich. This young man magnified himself rather than magnifying God This young man refused to abandon creations in exchange for his creator. We often hear the rich young ruler's story as a cautionary tale that we should avoid. But Cedarview, you are the rich young ruler. I am the rich young ruler. The disciples who witnessed this interaction, rather than wiping their brow, saying, whew, man, I'm glad that I am more better than this rich young ruler who wouldn't give up his stuff. No, they had more sense about themselves. Do you know what they asked Jesus after seeing this interaction with the rich young man? They said, who then can be saved? They ask, who can be saved? Because if that young man wasn't good enough, then what hope do I have? Jesus responds tenderly, but honestly. He says, but what is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And so God help us, we are sinners undeserving of grace. But praise God, he did help us. Cedarview, let us join God in mourning the destruction of Moab. Let us be disgusted with the sin and failure that we see in ourselves that resembles Moab. Cedarview, let us fall at the feet of Jesus and cry out in desperation. Then who can be saved? And Cedarview, let us rejoice alongside the disciples at Jesus' response. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Our theme this morning has been amid God's announcements of worldwide judgment, redemption echoes. To understand our theme this morning, we had two judgments upon pride and one promise after judgment. Judgment upon pride, number one, trusting creation over creator. We saw their creations were destroyed, their rest destroyed, and their strength destroyed. <clears throat> we saw the second judgment upon pride magnifying self over God. We saw their shame was magnified. We saw their mourning magnified and we saw terror magnified but there was a promise after the judgment redemption echoes but is not deserved they had no strength no home no crown no lineage but they had hope of redemption i'm going to pray and ryan is going to come matt and i will be down in the front to receive you if you need us as you respond But whether you come up here or stay in your seat, I challenge you this morning to really hold Moab before you as a mirror and consider, do you have seen in Jeremiah chapter 48, do you have some blemishes? Do you have some scars, some wounds, some sores that resemble the Moabite people? I hope it does reveal some ugliness within yourself as it has for me in preparing this sermon this week. But don't fall into despair. Hear the echo of redemption. Be challenged and be con- encouraged as we close by the author of Hebrews from chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is today seated at the right hand of God advocating for you. Look to Jesus and cast off that which clings so closely to you this morning. Pray with me.